Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 7.57 a.m. Central Standard Time. It is the 19th of January, 2022. This is episode 528 of Bitcoin. And let's start with Jack Mallers. Now, I understand the controversy. The fact that he's using USDT or Tether and apparently it's on the Ethereum back end. And I am not a fan of giving credence, use case, or any kind of credibility to that freaking pre-mined shit chain. But, but, I got to give credit where credit is due. The, the strike app is number one in Argentina or Argentina's app store a week after launch, a week, one week, ladies and gentlemen, and Jack Maller's strike app is number one in the Argentinian app store. Honestly, like I said, I got to give, I got to give credit where credit is due. Jack is burning up the rails here. The fact that there's Ethereum involved is a question that I'm always going to have. I was unaware that there was an Ethereum backend functioning for the USDT or the Tether portion of the uh, Strike app when it went down to El Salvador. I am aware that they shit-canned the Tether part of that in El Salvador as far as I know. If I'm wrong, please correct me. I'm uh, back on Twitter, Ghost of Nunya, by the way, at Ghost of Nunya. If you haven't followed me yet, please do. I'm trying to reconstitute my network. I went into all that shit yesterday. I won't rehash it today. But uh, again, if Jack follows suit like he did in El Salvador, then in Argentina, he will soon shit can tether. We have to wait and see. We're just going to have to wait and see. If, if he doesn't do that, that's, that's when we can start (laughs) just saying, I I mean, I'm just saying, look, I know it's rubbing everybody the wrong way, but you know, we, I think the difference here is, is that we had no idea that Ethereum was anywhere involved in the tether transfers in the El Salvador version of strike app. And it's only just now that we're starting to talk about the Argentinian version of the strike app that we discover that, oh shit, Ethereum is involved. Again, I don't know why he didn't use, if you're going to use a shit chain, don't give credence to that one. You know, help the knife fight along and use, I don't know, fucking Solana or Tron or some shit like that. At least, you know, 
at least stir the pot. If you're gonna have to, if you're gonna have to use Ethereum, at least do it to where you set them up for a fucking knife fight, right? Now, second, second up, Tahini's. Do you remember Tahini's, the restaurant in Canada, the uh, Mediterranean restaurant? Yes, Tahini's. Uh, the restaurant chain Tahini's is going to expand to 25 locations on the Bitcoin treasury boost. Let's go ahead and read this one right now as soon as it kind of comes up. Oh, it's not. Oh, never mind. It's not doing that. Uh, I thought it was a story from Bitcoin Magazine. It's not. It was just a tweet out of Bitcoin Magazine and they had a link and I thought it was going to go to whatever, but no, it went to actually Bitcoin hackers. So let's, let's continue on with the news. So the question is, how on earth can we make gaming worse in 2022? The answer, Microsoft to acquire Activision's Blizzard for $68.7 billion. That's billion with a B. Tom Warren's writing for The Verge. Microsoft is acquiring Activision, the troubled publisher of Call of Duty, World of Warcraft, and Diablo. The deal will value Activision at $68.7 billion, far in excess of the $26 billion Microsoft paid to acquire LinkedIn in 2016. It's Microsoft's biggest push into gaming, and the company says it will be the third largest gaming company by revenue behind Tencent and Sony, once the deal closes, that is. Microsoft plans to add many of Activision's games to Xbox Game Pass once the deal closes. With the acquisition of Activision, Microsoft will soon publish franchises like Warcraft, Diablo, Overwatch, Call of Duty, and, oh God, Candy Crush. Quote, upon close, we will offer as many Activision Blizzard games as we can within Xbox Game Pass and PC Game Pass, both new titles and games from Activision Blizzard's incredible catalog, says Microsoft CEO of gaming, Phil Spencer. <clears throat> That's all we really need to know about that, except for who's on the gaming leadership team. Oh my God, this is, this is hilarious. The gaming leadership team consists of, let's see, 13 people. Phil Spencer, the CEO of Microsoft Gaming, is clearly at the head. And then you've got people like Ashley McKissick and Cynthia Purley and Dave McCarthy. And this is like, uh, let's see, the uh, experiences development person, the human resources chick, Xbox product services, chief of staff, CVP of gaming and marketing and CVP, I guess that's corporate vice president. I don't know. Uh, gaming cloud, 13 people. Every single one of them has pronouns in their bio. Every single one. Phil Spencer is he, him. Ashley McKissock is she, her. Cynthia Purley is she, her. Should I go on? All 13 of these fucking people are complete LARPers. You wanted to make gaming even worse? Congratulations, Microsoft and Blizzard. You've done it. You've completely imploded gaming as we know it. So I always talk about podcasting 2.0. And if you want to support the show, 
please get the Breeze Wallet or Sphinx Chat or Fountain or any number of apps that are coming out or are already out that offer the ability to stream sats to your favorite personage. And if you stream me sats, it goes directly to my lightning node without any third parties involved, except for the lightning nodes that, you know, are going to enable the payment as that, as the uh, one node talks to another one and talks to another one until it finally gets to my node. Other than that though, there's really nobody involved in you helping me do this show by streaming me sats. Now that Microsoft and Blizzard have figured out a way to completely knock gaming, you know, I don't know, out of the picture for almost everybody, because A, Blizzard was starting to suck anyway. Microsoft has sucked since the 90s. And now two sucky companies have come together to really, really put the poundage on the gaming experience. I remember when I was a kid, I used to just go to a store and go pick up a game. I used to like looking at the boxes and the art and reading about the game and I would select one and then I would go load it up into my computer and play the game. Now I need a game pass. I need steam. I need all kinds of, it's just, it's a mess. It's a complete mess. So I think podcasting 2.0, is going to help game developers by being able to play the game and stream them sats. I, I, I There's no reason why you wouldn't be able to do that. Hell, we have an RSS feed. I've got an RSS feed that has my Lightning Nodes address in it. That's how you can send me sats by listening to the show. If you can listen to the show and stream me sats at the same time, there's no reason why an independent developer can't make a game and build it to where it has a lightning address involved in the license. And as you activate the license, it starts, you start streaming sats. If you decide to say, no, I don't want to stream you sats, that game developer will have the choice to say, okay, well, you can play it for free up to, I don't know, level three, like, a, like the third map. And if you want, you know, to play four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, you're going to have to stream sats. There's no reason in the world that that can't be done. You can also do that with software packages, by the way. It's just going to take the people that actually sit down and build all this stuff out. But it is certainly not impossible, and Podcasting 2.0 proves that. So it is my hope that somebody listening to this will say, fuck it, let's let's figure out how to build a gaming license that streams sats while you do stuff. Okay, continuing on, Milo launches Bitcoin mortgage in the United States. Namcios has it for Bitcoin Magazine. Real estate fintech Milo, M-I-L-O, will launch the first U.S. Bitcoin mortgage offering, enabling customers to leverage their BTC holdings to purchase properties in the country, the company said in a statement on Tuesday. Instead of selling Bitcoin for a down payment to qualify for a mortgage, Milo now lets Americans and foreigners use their Bitcoin stack as collateral for purchasing real estate in the United States. Quote, Milo's clients will be able to pledge their Bitcoin to purchase property and finally qualify for a low interest rate 30-year crypto mortgage, per the statement. Quote, this solution will allow clients to continue to own their Bitcoin and diversify into real estate, all while keeping the potential price appreciation of both. 
Clients will be able to finance 100% of their purchase with no dollar down payments required and do this faster than a conventional mortgage, end quote. The company said it has been developing the new offering since last year and anticipates it to be available to most applicants early this year as there is currently a large waiting list for the Bitcoin mortgage. Quote, there are countless stories of people buying property with Bitcoin proceeds only to see it increase in value and be worth millions more, said Josip Rapena, Milo founder and CEO. Quote, with our new crypto mortgage, we can expand our offerings to consumers that were previously denied by other banking firms just for having crypto. We have an opportunity to make sure that doesn't happen anymore and that their Bitcoin wealth can now help them buy a property. Mayor, uh, or sorry, Miami Mayor Francis Suarez, a proponent and hodler of Bitcoin, also commented on Milo's new offering, saying in the statement that the Bitcoin mortgage is a groundbreaking achievement for advancing U.S. dominance in the Bitcoin ecosystem. Quote, to become the capital of capital, Miami needs companies like Milo who are willing to innovate and ideate, he added. And there you go. So Bitcoin mortgages. The only, see, this is where, this is DeFi, in my opinion. It, the rest of this bullshit is just, the DeFi landscape at this point, I, I said it yesterday, I'm going to say it again today. DeFi, as it stands, if you're like looking at SushiSwap and all that kind of crap, does not actually finance anything. This is actual finance. It brings Bitcoin into the real world and allows you to leverage its power to affect things in the real world. This is the digital colliding with the analog. DeFi as it stands right now can't do that. All you can do is basically do a fruit salad and hope somebody will buy your fruit salad for, I don't know, some raw fish. It's just ridiculous to me. This is actually decentralized finance. However, Milo is a centralized organization. So it's not actually DeFi, but we're getting close. Or, well, we're getting closer. We're not actually close. We're quite a ways away from true decentralized finance, but we're going to get there. There's actually going to be a God for, you know, a God's honest reason for the existence of the word DeFi. It just isn't here yet. And anybody telling you different is either lying to you or they don't know what the hell they're talking about. Crowdfunding is broken, by the way. And here's how Bitcoin can fix it. Mick Marucci from Bitcoin Magazine. Crowdfunding is a powerful mechanism for innovation and supporting social enterprises. Platforms like Kickstarter and Indiegogo have spearheaded the Web 2.0 crowdfunding movement, which has led to the creation of several billion-dollar tech startups like Oculus and raised millions for thousands of causes. Through these platforms, online communities have been able to join forces and mobilize resources at an unimaginable speed and scale, but only up to a point. Crowdfunding today is dramatically narrowed by its reliance on legacy finance, which limits the vast majority of the world accessing it. 
The crowdfunding revolution that was started by the internet can now be brought to the next level with Bitcoin, which can dramatically increase the size of the crowdfunding pie and lead to an unimaginable impact on lives all over the globe. As we'll see in this article, some experiments are looking promising. Crowdfunding's major issue is its reliance on the legacy financial infrastructure that is not only costly, but globally fragmented. Yeah, just like social media. If we look at the major crowdfunding platforms out there today, GoFundMe, Indiegogo, Kickstarter, they only operate in roughly 30 countries. And you guessed it, these are only developed economies. The main reason for this is their reliance on payment providers like Stripe, which offer limited reach due to the highly fragmented global payments network and an exclusive regulatory financial system. This also means that the cost of operating crowdfunding in this network are very costly due to the many mediating third parties involved. The average crowdfunding platform charges a 7% fee for, or per successful project. Geez, 7%. Another limitation of this reliance on legacy financial infrastructure is that so little can be done with it on the financial rails. Take, for example, the fact that with current crowdfunding platforms, there is a limit of $1 or even $5 per donation. What if, instead, we allowed anyone to fund cents, microcents, or nanocents to incentivize more people, i.e. the crowds, to donate? All this makes the current state of crowdfunding lacking the crowds. This tight reliance on the legacy financial infrastructure has made some crowdfunding platforms to move to a so-called Web 3.0 model. For example, Kickstarter has decided to move from its reliance on Stripe to creating its own crowdfunding protocol on other blockchains. This may make sense for equity-based crowdfunding, which can enable this platform and others to invest in new companies and their ideas, while this may be an interesting experiment for equity-based crowdfunding, a global donation and reward-based crowdfunding and peer-to-peer -peer lending can only make sense using the asset with greatest global adoption worldwide, and, well, that's Bitcoin. In 2021, you may have noticed the spawning of crowdfunding projects featuring social and humanitarian projects in emerging economies. A popular one that went viral was Bitcoin Smiles, raising 1.88 BTC for supporting dental care in El Zante. Another recently launched project is Kiveclare, or Kiveclare, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, a development project that educates people about Bitcoin in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, which reached 50% of its target. There are only two of the several, oh, sorry, the, these are only two of the several project initiatives supported by the team at BTC Pay Server, which help with the self-hosting of the site and configurations. The use cases are highlighting the need for a seamless global crowdfunding experience enabled by Bitcoin on Lightning and supported by the Bitcoin community. More importantly, these examples are showcasing that the Bitcoin community isn't just about hodling, but about giveling. Oh, good God. It, no, seriously, it says giveling. G-I-V-L-I-N-G. Giveling. We've, okay, I think we're taking the hodling thing a little too far, but continuing. Giving sats is sharing love. After all, many of us became Bitcoiners thanks to a friend or family member gifting us some Bitcoin. Uh, that's 
true. That's not the way to end the article, but apparently that's the end of the article. You know, writing is hard. I'm not going to give this guy any shit about it, okay? Because writing is hard. My wife is a very good writer. She teaches writing. <laughs> She's teaching writing right now. <laughs> She's a good technical writer. She's a good, you know, she's pretty good with articles and stuff like that. And one of the first things that she will tell you is that writing is hard. It's a lot harder than people think it is. It And, and people don't understand how hard it is until they actually sit down and try to write something. And then it's like, fuck, this is hard. I've been writing for a long time and it's still hard for me. I haven't written in a while and Unlike riding a bike, it is not something that you just pick right back up. Once you stop riding, all of a sudden you get kind of stupid about it. And I've tried to write a few things lately and I'm like, why does this sound like a five-year-old? Well, it's because riding is hard and you also have to practice it, by the way. Speaking of practice, UFC champ Francis Ganu teams with Cash App to take winnings in Bitcoin. Jeff Benson writing for Decrypt.co. Francis Ganu is ranked one of the top mixed martial artists in the world and currently holds the UFC heavyweight title. That's kind of a big deal, guys. Soon, he'll be holding some Bitcoin, too. The French Cameroonian fighter announced via social media today that he would take half of his prize purse from this weekend's UFC 270 event in Bitcoin while also giving out $300,000 in BTC to fans who comment on his post. Quote, Bitcoin is huge in Africa, he said in a teaser tweet last Friday before continuing. Quote, Bitcoin is the future and I'm a believer. The gambit is made possible by Cash App, the mobile payment app from Jack Dorsey-led block, formerly Square, that also allows users to buy Bitcoin. The marketing campaign has seen various athletes and entertainers give away BTC to social media followers, among them rapper Megan Thee Stallion, and actress Gwyneth Paltrow. Like Green Bay quarterback Aaron Rodgers, who agreed to take part of his 2021 season salary in Bitcoin, Ganu is taking some of his own earnings in BTC. He reported, or rather, his reported guaranteed purse from this Saturday's fight is $750,000, not including win or sponsorship bonuses. Block is just one of many crypto-focused companies changing hard into or charging hard into the athletic arena. Exchanges Coinbase and Crypto.com are gobbling up team sponsorships and endorsement deals and rival platform FTX counts Tom Brady as a brand ambassador along with MLB slugger Shohei Otani and NBA sharpshooter Steph Curry. Those athletes are all winners just like Ganu who auctioned over $580,000 worth of NFTs to benefit his charity after his previous title fight. But the 35-year-old heads into this fight as a slight underdog against his former sparring partner and fellow Frenchman, Cyril Gain. Can you make it? Get that Bitcoin while you can, Francis. So another athlete is taking uh, the Bitcoin cue from all the other athletes, starting with uh, Russell Okung. I I honestly believe if we go back in history, we're going to find that Russell Okung was the very first guy in professional sports 
that uh, embrace Bitcoin solidly. Now expect the, I don't know, the, the stragglers like Ganu, because he is kind of straggling, uh, to continue to go headlong into shitcoinery. And let's not be, let's, let's not allow ourselves to be saddened by that. Let's just take the win and tell people about it. Now, speaking of this thing said, uh, crypto.com is gobbling up team sponsorships. Well, I hope they can get past this. Crypto.com suffers hack for at least $15 million in the shitcoin Ethereum. Andrew Asmakov has it for Decrypt.co. Cryptocurrency exchange Crypto.com has reportedly fallen victim to a hack with at least $15 million worth of Ethereum stolen. Despite reports of missing funds, the platform has yet to confirm that it has indeed been hacked. With almost $3 billion in trading volume in the last 24 hours, Crypto.com is the industry's fourth largest centralized crypto exchange, according to CoinGecko. A household name in Asian markets, the Singapore-based exchange recently spent $700 million to buy the naming rights to the Staples Center, the Los Angeles home venue of the NBA's Lakers and Clippers. On Monday, Crypto.com announced it was pausing withdrawals after a small number of users experienced unauthorized activity in their accounts, stressing that all funds are safe. Yeah, bullshit. Citing the need to enhance security, the exchange also urged users to sign back into their accounts and reset their 2FA. Jesus, guys? Despite users complaining about funds missing from their accounts and Dogecoin co-founder Billy Marcus pointing to odd activity on one of the Ethereum wallets associated with Crypto.com, the exchange announced that withdrawals had resumed at 1742 UTC on Monday. The events took a turn for the worse when security research company PeckShield took to Twitter in the early hours on Tuesday to reveal that Crypto.com had lost at least 4,600 Ethereum or ETH, around $15 million at current prices. PeckShield added that half of the stolen funds were sent to Tornado Cash, an Ethereum-centric mixing service. PeckShield told Decrypt via Twitter message that the true scale of the damage is definitely worse. Quite remarkably, a few hours later, Crypto.com CEO Chris Marzelic said that no customer funds were lost. According to Marzelic, the exchange has hardened the infrastructure in response to the incident and will share a full postmortem after the internal investigation is completed. It's worth noting, though, that some users confirmed that the funds they claimed were missing were eventually returned to their accounts. Decrypt has also reached out to Crypto.com for comments and will update the story should we hear back. Okay, so <laughs> so the some funds were returned to some users. Were they the actual funds that they lost? That I mean, that's a good, honestly, in my opinion, that is an excellent question to ask at this point. Were they the same coins that were lost or are they different coins? And if so, does that mean that Crypto.com has a storehouse of shit coins so that they can quote unquote make investors whole when this kind of crap happens? Because this kind of crap happens every week. And that's not an exaggeration. Every single week, it's some DeFi hack or it's some Ethereum glitch or it's some bullshit. 
and it's losing people money. And you, you dive into these things completely at your own risk. Don't risk your money. Buy Bitcoin, hodl Bitcoin, watch Bitcoin, farm, I don't know, farm your fiat job, do whatever it is that you got to do, but stay in Bitcoin because this shit is off the hook. This kind of crap is going to, has been around for years since at least I remember that there was a wall, um, the makers of the primary uh, Ethereum wallet uh, got hacked and nobody was sure if it was actually the guy that created the wallet in the first place or if it was somebody else. I'm just saying, man, if with that kind of crap going on, see, this doesn't happen to Bitcoin. I mean, it happens to exchanges all the time in Bitcoin, but it doesn't actually happen to Bitcoin. This is actually just raiding Ethereum wallets. This is bad, guys, I'm just saying. Now, 43% of Bitcoin trading volume occurs during the United States market hours as uh, reported by Arcane Research. Joseph Hall from Cointelegraph. Uncle Sam dominates the Bitcoin trading arena according to a report published by Arcane Research. Yeah, and apparently we suck at it. Why do I say that? <laughs> because we're not above 69,000 yet. Just saying. Bitcoin's 90-day correlation to the S&P 500 is currently at its highest since October 2020 when the United States trading hours show the most Bitcoin activity. For 2022, the United States trading hours show a marked increase in trading volume, making up 43% of the 24-hour volume on average. Trading volumes have trended up during U.S. market hours since late 2021, the 43% figure is up from 36% from the period from November 1st, 2021 to January 16th, 2022 in the graph. Oh, sorry, not going to read that because I can't explain the graph. Arcane Research summed up the trend neatly. Trading activity tends to immediately pick up as the United States stock market opens with Bitcoin performance being tightly correlated to that of the S&P 500. Interestingly, American traders also kick off the week with gusto. Up to 50% of Bitcoin trading volume occurred on the last three Mondays and Tuesdays of the year before trending down to the 40% range. The 40% is still substantial given that the U.S. market hours of 9.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Time account for less than 30% of the 24-hour day. The finding illustrates that American traders, or traders wishing to trade during American market hours, take the lion's share of Bitcoin trading activity and they do it early on in the week. However, it also shows the considerable impact of the U.S. stock market on the performance of Bitcoin lately. Given that the Bitcoin 90-day correlation to the S&P 500 is currently at its highest since October of 2020 and volatility is low, calls for fireworks in the market around or as calls for fireworks in the market abound as analysts warned that bitcoin could dip to 38,000 before an eventual breakout in light of the data the move could happen during us trading hours okay so <clears throat> what does this tell us well and i honestly it kind of tells us quite a bit the united states trading market is probably the largest in the world Let's, you got to call it at least the top three, right? You got, you got United States, 
you've got um, you've got Europe, and then you've got Asia. All right, so United States is at least in the top three, if not number one, in volume, market cap, you name it. So that's kind of a big deal, and. The fact that we are being correlated to the S&P 500 as of late is also nothing to sneeze at. With Jay, Powell, with Jay Powell starting to talk hawkish about interest rates, it, there's gonna be turmoil in all of the markets around the world. One of the problems that I have is that the United States has like five futures derivatives on Bitcoin. In, in, this is, in my opinion, a way to suppress prices. I, I, I really wish that we had a spot ETF, but we don't yet. We have like five futures ETFs, and honestly, they're just tools for price manipulation. The, thankfully, for the love of God, thankfully, Bitcoin is actually worldwide. And I think that that takes a lot of the pressure off of it. However, you're still talking about at least one of the top three markets in the world. And we've got five futures, you know, ETFs. I, it, it's gonna be a tug of war and we're in it for the long haul. If you're not in it for the long haul, you've got to sell your Bitcoin and, and get into cash and just stay out until you, un, until you get your your balls, you know, un, and and your legs under you know under you, so you can walk around bravely. For the rest of us who have been through this for years, uh, we're just going to hold. That's what I'm saying, and we're now we're going to run the numbers. Starting off with flammable liquids, not so much on fire today, but they are they are basically smoldering. I've got West Texas Intermediate up almost a full point to $86.24 a barrel. Brent North Sea likewise up 0.8% to $88.21 per barrel. Natural gas is up scant, almost eh, like a one-fifth of a point to $4.29 per thousand cubic feet. And gasoline... $2.45 a gallon, which is representing an upwards gain of 0.69%. All of your shiny metal rocks are gleaming gold up 0.67% to 1824 bucks. Silver is up a point and a half to $23.86. Platinum is up three and a half points, ladies and gentlemen. Copper up 2.2%. Palladium up 3.15%. Agricultural futures are almost all to the upside. Biggest winner today, uh, right now, soybeans up a point and a quarter. Wheat on its heels at 1.07% to the upside. Corn is up a point. Sugar is up a point. Coffee is up a point. Cotton is up. Ooh, holy shit, it just flipped over. Now it's the winner with 1.75% to the upside. And chocolate is up 0.38%. Uh, Dow futures up a third, S&P futures up a third, NASDAQ futures up a half, S&P mini is up 0.42%. Fuck it, real money's at $42,168.93, ladies and gentlemen. 
268,906 transactions were performed in the last 24 hour period. And that means that there's about 11,200 transactions every hour on the hour with 550,000 BTC being sent in that 24 hour period. That's an average of 22,800 BTC being sent per hour. Average transaction value is two BTC. Median transaction value is 0.014 BTC or 581 bucks. Block times are low at nine minutes and four seconds and 0.06 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and nine and a half BTC have been taken overall in the last 24 hour period. A 13.8% drop in hash rate and yet we're at 170.4 exahashes per second. I think sometimes BitInfo charts gets these two numbers crossways. So um, I'm not sure what the hell's going on there. Uh, yesterday we were at like 150 or 100, was it, what was it yesterday? 156, 158 uh, exahashes, something like that. And now we're at 170 exahashes and it's a 13.8% drop. I don't know, man. Like I said, uh, BitInfo charts, I, I kind of wish they'd, do some correlate a little bit better correlation. Shitcoin indicator as usual is Doge at 16 and a half shiny metal pennies. So that tells you what the what's going on in the rest of the shitcoin world. Now, Clark Moody's dashboard. We have 1086 transactions waiting on one block to clear. Um, we have 800 billion dollars of market capitalization. And let's see here, that's 6.67% of gold's entire market cap. And you can, if you so choose, purchase 23.1 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,934,010.25 in circulation. 3,331 and a half of those are locked up in the Lightning Network, which is valued at $140.8 million, being run over 18,845 nodes bearing 83,963 payment channels and 67, not 67, 76.3% of all that's being run over Tor. And that means that 2,542 BTC are handled by the Tor network and it's 11,780 nodes that we know about and that's gonna do it for vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. The EU is going to have fun staying poor because their securities regulator calls for proof of work crypto mining banned. Prashant Jha has it for Cointelegraph. Eric Thieden, the vice chair of the European Securities and Markets Authority, has raised concerns over the growing use of renewable energy for Bitcoin mining. In a recent interview with the Financial Times, Thedeen said that Bitcoin mining has become a national issue and warned cryptocurrencies could pose a risk to climate change goals. He called upon European regulators to take special exception to proof-of-work mining, which is primarily used by Bitcoin and a few other forked altcoins. He also advocated for proof of stake as a better energy efficient alternative. Quote, we need to have a discussion about shifting the industry to a more efficient technology. Pausing right there. No, we don't. No, we do not. This is somebody who probably understands the value of proof of work as it 
pertains to the security of a monetary network. He's saying what he's saying because Bitcoin is going to eat his lunch as well as all the people that work for him and wrest control of the monetary world out of their hands and make them basically private citizens that have nothing to do but do what the rest of us do. Find a job, go out to eat every once in a while, go to the store and buy food, learn how to cook at home, have kids, maybe go fishing. I don't know, maybe use the time to enjoy life, to make a difference in the world. The difference that this person makes right now is incredibly evil. That's why they're going to back Ethereum. And you need to get that shit through your head right now. They're going to back Ethereum and it's going to eat their lunch because Ethereum is not secure. We've already talked about that. I won't rehash it. I'm just saying this person is saying what this person is saying because this person understands that proof of work obsoletes the legacy financial system and everybody that works for it. So of course, of course, they are going to do everything that they can to get something that they can control like Ethereum because they're going to be able to control it. Ethereum was before it was even born was discussed with a large bank. I want to say JP Morgan, but I'm not sure. It may have been Goldman Sachs, but it became evident a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was last week, that Ethereum actually it may have been it actually may have been before the new year that Ethereum had been discussed by Vitalik Buterin and Joseph Lubin and that other idiot from Cardano who oh, was it Bob Hoskins? No, no. Hawkinson, something like that. I can't, he's a, I, I can't stand the dude. Um, <clears throat> they all talked to a major bank about the development of Ethereum before Ethereum was even incepted or well, well, it was already incepted, but before it actually started, you know, their chain rolling and all that kind of crap do, is that what you want? Because that's what we already have. We already have a version of proof of stake. The Cantillion effect, J-Pow, all the rest of these idiots, they're, they're not in it for humanity. They're in it for themselves. And that's why they want proof of stake because they already have proof of stake. They already understand proof of stake. They understand proof of work. They understand that it's the enemy to them because it's going to destroy them. Continuing on, Melanion Capital, a Paris-based alternative investment firm has addressed the growing call for a ban on proof-of-work mining, and they did so back in November of 2021, calling it completely misinformed. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. I'm going to read that one again. I'm sorry. I completely screwed that one up. Melanion Capital a Paris-based alternative investment firm has addressed the growing call for a ban on proof-of-work mining back in November 2021 and called it completely misinformed. So maybe they're on our side. Let's, that's a, a, a 
tricky sentence. The investment firm said that due to the decentralized nature of Bitcoin, there is no lobby or group to defend its interest, which should not be taken as an opportunity to implement measures rendering illegal an industry for its lack of defensive powers. <laughs> Maybe they don't understand proof of work. Oh God, the Bitcoin's network energy usage was one of the most controversial topics in 2021 that saw the likes of Elon Musk, Jack Dorsey, and Michael Saylor engage in several debates. Tesla even discontinued the Bitcoin payment option, citing the Bitcoin network's usage. However, like Theodine, most of the critics until now had no issues with clean energy usage. Musk has claimed that if 50% of the Bitcoin network's energy comes from renewable sources, Tesla would rethink adding a Bitcoin payment option. China's Bitcoin mining ban in May last year turned out to be a boon for the ecosystem as it not only disintegrated the highly centralized Bitcoin mining industry, it also helped in moving towards more renewable energy usage. According to the quarter three report from Bitcoin Mining Council, Renewable energy usage by the Bitcoin network reached 58% by the third quarter of 2021. So there you go. By the way, as far as I know, uh, Elon Musk has not reinstated the option to purchase Teslas with Bitcoin, even though it's shown that well over 50% of Bitcoin's mining comes from renewable resources. Now, let's say that he, now let's say that he does acknowledge, yes, I, Elon Musk, acknowledge that more than 50% of Bitcoin's mining comes from renewable resources. You, he has two options. He has two roads. The first one is, and I'm going to reinstall Bitcoin as a payment option for Tesla. He's not going to do that. It's going to be the second route. He's going to say, and I agree with the EU's council that says renewable resources going to Bitcoin mining is a waste of renewable resources. And I'm completely changing my mind, but I'm not going to tell you that because I'm Elon Musk and my fortune depends, depends on you thinking that I'm smart and me being able to continue to take money from the United States government in the form of subsidies to make me the wealthiest man on the planet. And if that's not a cartel. I don't know what is. I wish we were back in the time of real gangsters, you know, guys that toted, you know, Thompson submachine guns, wore overcoats and sharp looking hats and white on white ties, you know, signified that you were about to get whacked and they would do it in a barber shop, you know, shit like that. Real gangsters. You know, tough little sons of bitches that, you know, grew up on the goddamn streets of Brooklyn and shit like that. No, I got Elon Musk, who grew up in South Africa to an already wealthy family who figured out a way to bamboozle the United States government into making him the largest and wealthiest person in the world simply by saying that he was going to deliver a product that heretofore is actually not all that good and is really wasteful when it comes to electricity. And I won't get into why, but it, it is. Now, uh, film, uh, sorry, films. Firms in Singapore shutter crypto ATMs amid their advertising crackdown. Scott Cipollina, the great Bitcoin hater, is gonna write about it from decrypt.co. No wonder they picked him. Cryptocurrency ATMs are shutting down across Singapore after the Monetary Authority of Singapore the city-state's financial services regulator, announced a crackdown on crypto-related advertising per Bloomberg. 
Quote, MAS's new guidelines regarding ATMs were an unexpected surprise. Denaries and Company, Singapore's largest crypto ATM operator, told Bloomberg. Crypto ATMs make it easy for people to buy Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies, which concerns the regulator. Quote, providing in-person access to DPT, rather cryptocurrency services, in public areas through the use of automated teller machines, ATMs, is a form of promotion of DPT services to the public. Such convenient access may mislead the public to trade in DPTs on impulse without considering the risk of trading in DPTs, the regulator said in recently published guidelines. ATM closures are just part of a wider crypto crackdown taking place in Singapore. Earlier this week, the MAS also told crypto companies to stop advertising their products to the public. The regulator said crypto companies, quote, should not portray the trading of DPTs digital payment tokens, they finally describe it, in a manner that trivializes the high risk of trading in digital payment tokens and should not promote their digital payment token service in public areas in Singapore or through any other media directed at the general public in Singapore. Well, this halts, <clears throat> sorry, this halts ATMs, but it also means that crypto companies operating in Singapore can no longer engage with third parties like social media influencers, nor promote their services anywhere other than their own website, apps, or official social media accounts. <clears throat> this year's hardline policy follows last year's confrontation between the MAS and crypto exchange Binance, which has been looking for a headquarters ever since uh, CZ admitted it was necessary to satisfy regulators around the world. And CZ is short for Changpeng Zhao, the CEO of Binance. In August, the MAS said Binance was not licensed in Singapore, although it was going through the necessary application process. A month later, the regulator placed Binance on Singapore's investor alert list. By December, Binance withdrew its application for a license. So Singapore wants to have fun staying poor. That, that's what it means to me. <clears throat> this, it, this will continue. The beatings will continue until morale decreases. So you've got to stand strong. This is, we are not in this to get rich quick. We're in this to change the world for our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, on and on and on and on and on. There's no reason that we have to live the way that we've been living. There's absolutely no reason we have to be locked to a screen. There's no reason that we have to consume the guttural trash that has been fed to us by writers and producers from anywhere from sitcoms all the way up to the Marvel movies. Although I'm going to say this, I actually rather like the Marvel movies, but I'm not an idiot. I, I understand that it is somebody else's machinations that I'm being fed. At least I can choose that. But when you walk through a subway or you walk through Times Square or, or you're anywhere, anywhere even remotely close to a met major metropolitan area, you are consuming shit that you don't know that you're consuming. And it doesn't have to be this way. This is how they keep us all in cities. 
somehow or another it link it, it, it's like a chain the the media the advertising the sitcoms the movies everything it's it, the phones by god the phones chain you to a particular geographic area and an end by the way in a very tightly controlled space cities are prisons they are if you don't get it i can't help you if you do get it then and you have the money or some way get out get out of the cities they do not have your best interest in mind and singapore is exactly an example of that so if you're in singapore and get the hell out and i know somebody who does live in singapore and she needs to get the hell out before they crush her anyway so we come to a question what if lawyers had vetted the bitcoin white paper oh well, i don't know maybe artem afian will tell us from bitcoin magazine one of the central reasons for Bitcoin's success is that lawyers never touched the Bitcoin white paper. Watching now how legal professionals are trying to identify themselves as, quote, crypto lawyers and to offer legal support to blockchain startups, I came up with a thought. What if these same services have changed the original, original Bitcoin white paper? There are many legends and rumors surrounding Bitcoin pseudonymous founder Satoshi Nakamoto, and it is a mystery whether they were Japanese or American, whether they acted alone or through a group of people, and more questions. One hypothesis is that Satoshi, whoever they were, is now dead, and as a lawyer myself, I think that would be best for them now. Otherwise, they would have been sentenced to serve jail time or been bankrupted through legal fees a long time ago. What would have happened if Satoshi had originally hired lawyers to develop the Bitcoin white paper? At the very least, they would have died before those lawyers finished their work. A good lawyer would never allow Bitcoin to happen. To begin with, there isn't a trademark registered for the word Bitcoin. Just based on the number of times, texts, logos, games, etc., that businesses and people use that word, the world owes Satoshi a decent amount of money. Lawyers would never miss a document that wasn't laden with trademarks to the max. Instead of a transaction fee, we would have had to pay a royalty every time we pronounced the word Bitcoin. A good lawyer would have driven the white paper through the intellectual property hopper. In fact, intellectual property would be the first bullet that would completely kill the idea of Bitcoin. A lawyer's first reflex when looking at such technology is to register everything. Copyright the software, patent the technology. As far as BTC is concerned, it is primarily software. It would require terms of use and a privacy policy going through more than 100 pages of documentation and two years for development. If it's software, it means everyone has to pay Satoshi royalties and we need to register a legal entity to get those, but to whom? And this is where the whole idea of anonymity would die because Bitcoin would demand a legal entity to operate it. Of course, a good lawyer would find a way to hide Satoshi's real name, but that would be done through a bunch of trusts in offshore jurisdictions with no technology involved. Nodes would never have been invented because it is impossible to determine ownership. Right now, launching and operating your own node doesn't generate any income. They are mostly run by network enthusiasts, thereby increasing the resilience and security of the entire blockchain. And that, to any lawyer, is beyond good and evil. And while we're at it, it's worth noting that the very process of Bitcoin mining without legal support should be formally impossible, or formally impossible. 
Cryptocurrency issuance is not regulated by anyone and without contracts, Bitcoin cannot be transferred to another person. If lawyers had their way, the Bitcoin white paper would be overloaded by disclaimers. Actually, it would consist of 90% disclaimers. Governments could never accuse cryptocurrency owners of illegal financial transactions because they would be so confused by the inner workings of Bitcoin's definitions and terms, they simply could not even articulate what Bitcoin is. And yes, it's true that users wouldn't be able to read it either. Most likely, paying for all this legal work would have left Satoshi bankrupt. I am sure that with lawyers' participation, BTC would have become a financial and legal nothing project. More accurately, it would not have ha happened at all. This article may sound like a joke, but it's based on what's happening to a lot of projects in the space right now. I'm a lawyer myself, and I don't want to say that crypto lawyers aren't needed, but I often see how trying to get on safe legal ground is killing projects. This world needs fewer rules and more trust. Okay, uh, okay, I, I can get that there, you know, Artem, but um, honestly, I, I'm, I'm good with the fact right now that the A, that the white paper didn't go through any such weird, you know, machining. And B, I'm honestly, I, I couldn't give a rat's ass in a hole in hell as to whether or not these bullshit shit chain projects are having legal issues. They're playing the game. They get the prize that they play for. I'm going to say that again. If you're playing the game, you're going to get the prize that you're playing for. You're playing for legal standing. You're playing for regulatory what are they what are, what are they? acceptance. You you're begging begging to be legacy financial. If you're begging to be legacy financial, then you're going to get all the trappings of legacy financial. And that means keeping all little people slaves. You don't get to compete with JP Morgan, nor do you get to compete with Goldman Sachs. No, you don't. Why? Because you're a pleb. You're a slave. You're bullshit. You mean nothing on the planet. The only people that mean anything are people that can shop at Gucci for their fucking wives and buy flowers that are 500 times as costly as what you would find in a United supermarket. And it's not because they're any better. It's just because you paid more for it. Driving supercars that are air-cooled at 10 miles an hour to show off in New York City. And then you wonder why your shit catches on fire and destroying a $300,000 supercar. That's because they're air-cooled and they're meant to go fast. Why? So air can get into the engine and cool it because it's air-cooled. The people that are playing the game are going to lose. The reason Bitcoin exists the way it exists is because it didn't play the game. The white paper didn't play the game. Satoshi Nakamoto did not play the game. The game is trying to play Bitcoin at this point because the game has to survive. It's an organism just like Bitcoin is. The legacy financial system is not unlike Bitcoin insofar that it is a living, breathing entity. It does things. It thinks for itself. Why? Because there's a massive amount of people involved. 
If you want to be on the right side of history, be part of the massive amount of people that are in Bitcoin. Buy Bitcoin. Hold Bitcoin. DCA into Bitcoin. If you don't know what DCA means, it's daily cost average. It means every day buy 10 bucks or every week buy 25 bucks or every month buy 100 bucks. Whatever it is that you got to do, just continuously buy Bitcoin. Don't go all in. Don't mortgage your house and spend it all on Bitcoin and then look for a 30% drop because that always happens. Just buy Bitcoin, hold Bitcoin, watch Bitcoin, and be on Bitcoin's side. That's the way that you make legacy financial institutions go away. And that's the way that you don't have lawyers involved. That's how you get out of 80% of this shit. We don't have to live in the world the way that we see it. We can live in this world in a different way. We can either do it solo by simply getting the hell out of the cities and finding, you know, I don't know, a piece of property in an unincorporated part of a county in the United States. And unincorporated means not part of a city, which means that you're not paying for several things that you would pay for if you were in, if your property was incorporated. Okay. So if you want to go solo or a group, small group of people, find unincorporated. That's what you're looking for. When you go to the real estate agent and say, I want to buy a farm or something or a piece of property, make sure that they understand that you're looking for something in a county that is unincorporated. You're looking for a parcel of land that is unincorporated by any of the cities in that county. That way you're just dealing with the county seat and not the city government as well. Okay, so with all that said, that's going to do it for the morning roundup. All right, time for a joke. Dad says jokes. I visited my new friend in his apartment. He told me to make myself at home, so I threw him out. I hate visitors. Yes, sir. That's a good one. Okay. Um, again, if you want to uh, help help with the show, like you know, su- support what it is that I do, try to bring you the news every single day, or at least on the weekdays. Um, you can do it through podcasting 2.0. That's my favorite way of getting support. Uh, I do have others. The Bitcoin and podcast uh, Patreon page uh, allows you to, you know, will enable you to uh, deliver me a buck or two every month uh, with filthy fiat if you so choose. Um, I also have a, a, a none your business at strike.me uh, is my strike. Uh, if you want to give me a, a tip, I would turn it on back in Twitter, but my new Twitter account is really, really new and I'm already scathingly close, uh, in my opinion, to getting caught by Twitter being on their platform again after, because of, you know, technically I am literally now operating 100% fully not in compliance with Twitter's, uh, terms of use. That's just the way it goes. You have any idea how many people I know that have been deleted off of Twitter that are now back on Twitter? All of us are technically breaking the rules. And one of the rules is, that, well, one of the other rules is, one is you can never get back on our platform, don't even try it. Two is that you, you can't support your brand. 
They actually say that. So it's almost like they know you're going to get back on Twitter somehow, but that if you support your the old brand, that somehow or another they're going to catch you. And from what I've seen of Twitter algorithms, they're spending more time on figuring out algorithms to get you kicked off Twitter and keep you off Twitter than they are in making the Twitter experience actually pleasant. I'm serious. I, I'm, I won't get into it. But if that's one of the reasons why now when I announce the show on Twitter, I'm just using the term BA for Bitcoin and at least in the time for the time being. It is also why when you go to Ghost of Nunya, G-H-O-S-T-O-F-N-U-N-Y-A and follow me there and you go to my profile, I don't have the Kenny guy with the Charlie Brown face and the laser eyes. That could be coming, but I'm not sure because I lost my two alt accounts after my primary account only after oh literally only after i put up my standard avatar into my bio the the kenny with the charlie brown face and laser eyes with the this is not a negotiation wrapped around it within minutes after each one of my alt accounts saved that avatar to the bio i was toast I went two days with the first alt account and then within five minutes of putting my avatar in, gone. My second alt account, I went three days without having any problems whatsoever. Even though the account was linked to the same phone number, um, it was, it, they weren't touching it. I was doing whatever the hell I wanted. Five minutes after I put my, av- my standard avatar into my bio, gone. They are, I guarantee you there is an algorithm that is scraping bios and they are comparing new bios against a database in the naughty list of old bios and they're doing a pixel by pixel comparison and if you put the same freaking avatar in there and you've been banned as hard as i was they're going to ban that account i can't prove it but i don't know how else they would have done that they let me go for two days on my on my second on my first alt account, three days on my second alt account, and the only times that those things got killed were within five minutes of me putting up my standard avatar. And you're telling me that they don't have an algorithm to scrape pixel by pixel and do a comparison of new accounts versus or new avatars versus quote unquote old avatars that they're keeping in a database? You're crazy. I know they're doing it. I know they are. That's the only thing that explains the the rapidity of of my deletions on my two alt accounts because it was only after I put my standard avatar in there. So I've got to be really freaking careful. So I can't turn on my Twitter tips for strike because it's going to link to the exact same account that I had when I got banned. And I believe that somehow or another, Twitter's gonna be able to see that. So I'm not turning on those tips. It's strike.me forward slash nunyabidness, B-I-D-N-E-S-S, if you wanna support me that way. But again, learn podcasting 2.0. Support me through podcasting 2.0 if you can. And the reason I say that is because Podcasting 2.0 is going to start expanding to where it's video casting 2.0, game licenses 2.0. Like if it's consumable content, 
if it's consumable media, if it's consumable services such as using, I don't know, software or playing a video game, it's all going to come from podcasting 2.0's ability to stream a producer sats while you consume that producer's content, whether it's a good service, media, it doesn't matter. Learn about how podcasting 2.0 works today before you have to learn all the shit that comes out of it. It's better to understand the tree as it's a seedling rather than try to understand the tree after it's 80 years old. And by, you know, since I'm saying it's talking about a tree, go plant a tree today or wait for spring, early, early, early spring, okay? Go down to, the, go find something, a cherry tree, an apple tree, any kind of tree and plant it. Because the best time to plant a tree is today. The next best time or the, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The next best time is today. The same advice goes to learning how podcasting 2.0 works. It's really important that you understand how this works right now so that as it blossoms, you'll go, oh, I get that. It's easier to do it now than it is later. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.